Hi and happy Thursday, y'all. Here's what's coming up on NSN Daily. May madness off and running. It is state tournament time in high school baseball, softball, and more. We have some early game highlights for you. At least I met the snow here in Reno, so that's pretty cool. We're also heading to Greater Nevada Field, chatting with one of the Aces stars in infielder Diego Castillo. With the transfer portal season winding down, Chris Murray is breaking down how each Mountain West team fared, lining up the winners, losers, and neutral squads. It's hard to like fathom where I'd be if I wasn't playing sports. And our Nikki Pika features Drew Dutton, Reno High's three sports standout with a one-of-a-kind perspective and path. All that and a bunch more right now on NSN Daily. and welcome into our champion Chevrolet studio alongside Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson and you know what this is. It is a Thursday edition of NSN Daily State Tournament Edition. Final week of the high school sports season. Hard to believe we're here. Yeah, it's gone by really quickly, but obviously you cannot play a bigger game than in a state championship. So a lot of pressure on these kids. we got to remember that they are kids, but That's they're playing true. for high stakes and maybe making memories that will last a lifetime. Plenty of action on the campus of the University of Nevada, both Hickson Park and Piccoli Park, hosting the 5A and 2A tournaments. The early games featuring those small school squads. Why don't we give you some early highlights as we tape on this Thursday afternoon? First game of the day, bright and early, 8 a.m. It is Battle Mountain, and it is White Pine Softball. Winner moving on as the White Pine run scores there. It's Audrey Merrill. Then Battle Mountain with a nice bunt single out of Kiana Gonzalez. Work her around, they will. Score by any means necessary is the Longhorns' way of doing things. How about a base on balls with the bases loaded? That brings in Gonzalez for one of many runs on the day for Battle Mountain. This one will come via a wild pitch. It is... Hallie Edgar sliding in 10 to 7 Battle Mountain the winners in game 1 from Hickson Park. So, who are they going to play? Next game featuring Needles technically in California and Persian County making the trip here to the biggest little city and uh, Jalen Garcia proving to be unhittable. You're going to see her striking out a trio of Lady Mustangs. She was unhittable in this one as Needles blanks Persian County. The final score, 10 to nothing. Across the street we go to Piccoli Park now for the 2A baseball tournament. As you see my highlights written down, handwritten. That's how you know we're getting after it on a Thursday. Urington and Lake Mead. This is a Nathan Fenema base hit. It'll score Christian Mars. Urington trying to stop the bleeding. How about the sliding catch it short by Gyro Maldonado. Nice defense there on the turf on Don Weir Field. This hit will score Trevor Laprise and Lake Mead takes down Urington in the opener. Eight to one, that final score. Final game in this early slate, Needles and West Wendover. That's a heck of a trip for both squads to get to <laughs> Reno. The out is made at third, but Teague Nielsen with the heads up base running will score but that would be the only run the Wolverines get. They turn two nicely here, but not pictured a pair of needles runs. And it's the Mustangs winning two to one. 
Did you get all that? Of course, the 5A bracket going on as we speak. We'll have highlights of all of those teams coming up tomorrow on NSN Daily. But uh, it's really cool to see those smaller teams get to come play at Hicks and Ampicola. Yeah, I mean, those are great stadiums at the college level. So to be able to take your high school team there, obviously you got to earn it through the regional tournaments. But to be able to play on the big stage in the big stadiums and get that big feeling is awesome. And I know... Usually when we get to these state tournaments, the South tends to dominate That's the North, true. but we will see uh, when the dust settles exactly how the teams from our local region are able to fare. I think you'll see at least one, maybe a couple of state championships won by Northern teams when we get all the way to Saturday's championship games. Of course, we will cover it all for you. We'll also hash out everything in track and field, swimming, golf, all of the above <laughs> as those results continue to pour in. We do have results from a non-sanctioned Nevada sport in High school lacrosse. We had the Northern Championships played yesterday, and boy, Galena, the Grizzlies, proving once again why they are the top lacrosse program in the region. Three-peats for both the boys and the girls. Group. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you that if you're dedicated to a sport, look at all of those athletes out there wow. for a non-NIAA-sanctioned sport. Galena was probably the school in the north that's been pushing lacrosse the hardest over the last decade, and that's why you see all of this success. They've sent players to the Division One level. Obviously, they've brought home a lot of hardware. It doesn't sound like they're going to be able to stay, play for a state championship yeah. because it doesn't sound like the south teams want to come and face the north team, so that's a little bit unfortunate to be able to say you are the best team in Northern Nevada, though a huge accomplishment and something that Galena has become very familiar with, with back-to-back three-peats on the boys' and the girls' side. We did have head coach Justin Cutler and one of his star gals, Ava Wolfhorst, in studio last week. You can see that interview at NevadaSportsNet.com. So the girls beat Minogue 11-7. The boys took down Spanish Springs 16-7. So Galena, two-time champions again in the North, the girls and the boys for a third straight year. And we also got some news today in the high school basketball ranks. A guy who once played for McQueen, now going to lead their boys' basketball program. Yeah, uh, Rob uh, Fabry, a really, really cool story. He's a 1992 graduate of McQueen. He was actually on the first state championship football team in Lancer's history. In 1990, wow. he was the backup quarterback behind Todd Floyd, who went to Nevada, and then UNLV, part of that red defection rivalry move. But I was able to catch up with him earlier today, and he says he still kind of gets goosebumps or chills when he walks into McQueen's gym. That's oh, how much cool. that school means to him. He's been the freshman coach the last three years. He obviously replaces uh, Armand Johnson, who stepped down earlier this offseason, citing some health issues. You see a picture of them with the blueprints. He's a very successful architecture here in town. Went to the University of Utah, got a couple of degrees there. Wow. Uh, also played on the basketball team at McQueen. He played at the track and field team. He spent one year at Sierra College over in Rockland playing basketball, but then returned to the area. Uh, has built some great houses. We actually looked at a couple of them earlier today. Um, but, you know, he said that Ken Dalton, the former McQueen head football coach, was one of the biggest inspirations and mentors that he had in his life. And then just looking at this roster moving forward, last year McQueen went 11-13 and 13 overall, 6-10 and 10 in Northern 5A competition. But they do return two of the best players in the region, Cade Snyder and... Uh, uh, Kenny Snyder. Uh, Kate was a freshman last year. He averaged like right around 18 points yeah. a game. So uh, very, very strong players. They are the sons of Kirk Snyder, the former Nevada basketball standout. So, um, you know, he's going to have, uh, you know, a young team because it's really only those two among their top eight scorers coming back. But he said very much looking forward to running his own program. He's been running their offseason program and now We'll get to coach the head job at the varsity level and said, looking forward to going against Luke Babbitt and Matt Oaks and Oleg Chiz, and he knows those guys, and uh, we'll, we'll be uh, very excited to be able to coach against them. So cool to see another former standout athlete, even if it was 
a couple decades ago, <laughs> a few decades ago, leading a program here in town. So shout out to Coach Rob, leading the Lancers. You can see Chris's full breakdown of that hire with some quotes from Coach Fabry at NevadaSportsNet.com. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Nevada Sportsnet's Nikki Pika is going to join the show because she's got a heck of a story on Reno High's Drew Dutton. His path to becoming a three-sport standout with the Huskies it is a path unlike pretty much any kid in this town. That story coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily on a Thursday. We are in the Legends Bay Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. Now joined by Nevada Sportsnet's Nikki Pika in the house. <laughs> you just did a heck of a story on Reno High's Drew Dutton. We're going to show it to you in a moment, but we got to talk about how this story came about because it was a simple email from their athletics director. Yeah, I kind of sent, I wouldn't say it was a mass email, but it was a mass email to all of the athletic directors in the area. And I got one back from Mike Edwards and he was like, hey, this kid Drew Dutton, Great story, three-sport athlete, star of the football team, great kid, great family. They do a lot of, you know, nonprofit work. I was like, oh, okay, cool. He volunteers. Like, that's amazing. You know, growing up as an athlete, that's what you do is you volunteer. Yeah. Um, little did you know. Little did I know what was going to come with it and actually everything that I was going to end up finding out with this family. So it's unbelievable. That's kind of the beauty of our business sometimes. <laughs> you think you have a story, and it's an even bigger story. So without further ado, here is Nikki's piece with Reno High's Drew Dutton and his family. It's hard to like fathom where I'd be if I wasn't playing sports. Drew Dutton grew up immersed in sports. With two Wolfpack Hall of Famers for parents and his dad playing professional football, Dutton found himself on a field at a young age. <laughs> Reno High's three-sport athlete learned how to lead with the guidance of his parents, who doubled as his coach. In track, she'll be like, okay, I'm taking my parent hat off and my coach hat is on right now, and she'll tell me. And so it's just kind of like, it's a, it's a, not a weird dynamic, but it's different than just a normal coach or just a parent at home telling you what to do. As a junior, Dutton was named captain of the football team. The coaches kind of like expect you to be a leader and you kind of like embody that and just with the, the abilities that God's given me. But I try to lead with example and all my sports, my actions speak louder than my words. Put in the groundwork when they're little and it's amazing to get to watch them grow up and, and you know, step into that and, and really own their own style of leadership, but carry those same principles that are so important in leadership to, you know, be uh, not self-focused, but really others focused. And, and he, he does, it's been a joy to watch him, you know, as a, as a young man. <laughs> Drew's leadership emanating from an atypical childhood, growing up in the family ministry. The Duttons travel the world to make an impact on others' lives. In addition to his two biological siblings, Drew has a trio of brothers from Africa. John and Tarina were on a trip to Uganda when they met Mikey, whom they ended up adopting. From there, the Dutton family added Solomon and Kakari. Really knew a family that had adopted anybody, and um, but when we started our ministry and when we went over there, obviously we, hadn't, we didn't have any plans to do it. Um, but God put it on our hearts just to see two cultures, totally different from childhood, backgrounds, everything. But they became brothers right away. Just getting to know them just, and then as I grew up with them, just they would like share parts of their like story and stuff. And you just kind of like sit back and you're like, you just, wow. Like. The Duttons experienced a world not many kids in Northern Nevada could imagine. 
a perspective that shaped Drew into the leader he is today. Our kids have lived overseas. They've seen the things that what other people are living through, the real poverty, the real struggles, the every day is a survival, uh, you know, mode and, and to be there and to live that and to have brothers who have overcome what they have overcome as well. Drew saying the example he sees on a daily basis from his parents motivates him to grow into a special person. I admire them both a lot, like just all they've been through and just all they've pushed through and and they still find a way to just better the world and help people. It's amazing to watch them and try to be as much like them as you can. Nikki Pika, Nevada Sportsnet. <laughs> little fun at the end there as Drew gets ready for the state track and field meet down in Las Vegas. He's a triple jumper. He is a long jumper. Heck of a story, Nikki, and a heck of a family, obviously. Yeah, it was a lot to digest. I think I had about almost an hour of interviews between yeah. the parents and then Drew. I had gone out there originally to Reno High and just interviewed Drew on the track. And I think you and I both decided. That's when we realized there's more to this. There's yeah. a lot more because of the photos we got, the videos that Drew provided me. We're like, I think we can really do something special with this and bring in the parents and give it what it deserves, yeah. essentially. And uh, I get chills thinking uh. about it. And just everything I wasn't able to put in there. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. There's, There's so a lot much. of things that don't make it because that's just the nature of it. Like you mm -hmm. said, an hour of interviews, but you got to squish it down to a three and a half minute story. That includes your voice as well. Yeah. But you did a heck of a job at it. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> So yeah, anything else, any other anecdotes you wanted to add? They like to move around a lot. I know they're not gonna be in Reno for much longer, right? No, they're moving to Ohio, what? I think in a week or two. Oh my gosh. Um, so <laughs> yeah, because of the snow and the snow days, they the, the finals day for Drew you. or a week pushed back, but he already committed to go out to Ohio and be a camp counselor with his wow. brother. And his whole family's moving with them and they're all excited about it. Usually you feel like kids are maybe a little bit less excited and not excited Especially to move. At that age, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, this family, I was just standing there packing up all my stuff and like, oh my gosh, like I'm so excited to go to Ohio. When are we leaving? And it's just <laughs> really cool. I mean, they've lived in Africa. They've lived everywhere. Like I think, I mean, I was talking to the parents and John and Tarina were like, hey, uh, Drew, where do you want to go for your last two years of high school? And he ended up picking Reno and Reno High because of a basketball camp that him and his brother were a part of in uh, during COVID and everything oh, shut down. So he's like, yeah, I have friends at Reno, so let's go there. And, you know, he wouldn't change anything for the world. And, of course, his parents have some legendary roots in the biggest little, biggest little city, both Nevada mm -hmm. Hall of Famers. I would say they've got a Hall of Fame kid, multiple Hall of Fame kids, mm -hmm. if you ask me. <laughs> yes, plenty of them. And, you know, they have two adopted uh, he has three adopted siblings. Right. Two of them were able to come back to the United States and live with them. But one they adopted but wasn't ever able to come over because they were late on the adoption process. Oh, so he never got to come over to the United States and live with the family. But still I mean, part he, of it. he's still a brother and they still love him. And every time they go over there, um, it's just a really special bond that they all have, and it's so unbelievable. Some of those, I remember as you were putting it together, some of those videos you showed me that he sent you of him playing <laughs> soccer out there in yeah. Africa and teaching and running through drills with mm -hmm. the kids. That's life experience that 
you know, we're a lot older than Drew and we can't even touch that kind of life experience. So he is wise beyond his years, I would mm -hmm. imagine. Oh, absolutely. Very poised, very well mannered, very polite. And I think, I mean, even when I went over there and I was setting up everything, they're like, hey, like, do you need water? Let me get you water. <laughs> Drew, get yeah. her water. And even just, they're like, hey, eat dinner with us. They like, fed oh, you okay. dinner. They did. <laughs> Shout out to the Dutton's yes. chicken teriyaki it was. Oh, yeah, so good. Mm. Nikki's not going to soon forget <laughs> that meal. And we won't soon forget that story, Andrew. Good job once again, Nikki. Thank you. All right, coming up next on NSN Daily, we're talking a lot of things, including some Mountain West track and field. Nevada sending half a dozen to the NCAA preliminaries. Also, winners and losers in the basketball transfer portal. That's coming up next on Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris Murray, Mike Stevenson, back with you on this Thursday, talking a little Nevada track and field. We had the All Mountain West selections announced uh, yesterday. Today we found out they're sending half a dozen athletes to the NCAA Regional, which is yeah. a heck of a, a collection. So Sac State will host this, so That's they'll be right. over at Hornet Stadium in Sacramento, not that far away. The West Preliminaries is also an East Preliminaries in Florida, and the top 12 finishers in both preliminaries will head to national championships in Austin, Texas, and six. That is a lot. I mean, obviously, Nikola Adair drew a lot of the headlines out of this program right. over really the last half decade, but this shows you how deep this roster is. Nevada finished six out of 11 teams at the Mountain West Outdoor Championships, which also shows you how much depth you need to compete at the top of the Mountain West, but great to see six athletes get a chance to go on to nationals. One of them, Halen Senegal, in a couple events. Yeah, 800 meters and then the 4 by 400 meter relay. So she won the silver medal in the 800, 14th best time in that event. So she's got a good chance, I think, of potentially qualifying. Someone we knew was going to be at, at this uh, preliminary was Emily Costello, a few events. Yeah, so she won gold in the 200 at the Mountain West. She won bronze in the 400 and also will be in the 4 by 400 meter relay. So that was her first gold medal. She's a fifth year senior, currently 22nd in the 200 meters, 34th in the 400 meters. So to be in that top 12, She's going to have to improve those scores, but uh, she's been to the West Prelims before, so has a little bit of experience on what those nerves are going to feel like. Carolyn Ross is also part of that 4x400 team, but she's got another event as well. Yeah, 400-meter uh, hurdle. She finished sixth at the Mountain West Championships, but had a high enough score. You had to finish top 48 in the country to get over to West Prelims, so she'll be competing in that, and obviously the relay race as well. And Annalise Kalma is the final member of that 4x400 team. And then you got Raven Neely, who qualified earlier this year. Yeah, in the triple jump. So she actually was the final qualifier into the preliminaries, wow. 48th in the country. She finished seventh in the triple jump at the Mountain West Championships, but she had a jump in April at the Fresno Invitational that qualified her for the West Preliminaries. And you saw Cameron Dolcini there, who we had as our Wolfpack Athlete of the Month a, a few months ago. Really strong pole vaulter. She'll be there as well. Yeah, only a sophomore. She won the silver medal at the Mountain West Championships. Currently 23rd in the West Prelims entering. So she's again going to probably have to set a personal best to be able to get into that top 12. But very good representation at the West Prelims. We've seen a number of Nevada athletes get all the way to nationals. Out of the six, you probably are looking at Haley Senegal, probably the best chance to do so, but I would not count out Emily Costello as well. She knows this will be her last meet if she doesn't right. qualify. So, um, you know, she's, she's running her last meet unless she makes it to nationals. So I think she's going to have a lot of motivation behind her. Like you said, six of them, and they just have to go over the hill to Sacramento. Definitely advantage silver and blue <laughs> there. Let's keep things moving now, talking Mountain West basketball. If you head to NevadaSportsNet.com, Chris has a story talking the winners and the losers from the transfer portal season because it is technically 
closed and yes. that there will be no more additions, right? Yeah, I mean, there will be more additions, but no, no more additions into the portal. To play for this year. Yeah, yeah, you can still pull players out of the portal as long as they had their name in the portal right. before the May 11th deadline. Actually, San Diego State got a kid from uh, Campbell earlier today. His name is Jay Powell, J-A-Y-P-A-L, average right around Jay double Powell. figure. So this list is more or less settled. A lot of the players have already picked their schools, right. but there is a chance, and Nevada has an open scholarship, that there will be some more additions. But I think the dust has settled enough that we can give out some winners, some losers, and some neutrals. Again, that first story, that full story at NevadaSportsNet.com, but we'll give you the NSN Daily version, starting with the winners, and there are a trio of them, led by the Broncos from Boise State, also New Mexico and UNLV. What made them Yeah, winners? let's talk about Boise State. Uh, so they only lost one key player, Sadariq Nagana. He was a top 100 four-star recruit uh, last year who joined the team. He has a list of about 11 schools, and it's like Kentucky, it's Kansas, UCLA. Wow. But he didn't really play much for Boise State okay. last year, so it's not a huge loss from that perspective. They, add, they have added maybe three starters. Roddy Anderson averaged 13 points per game, uh, a guard from UC San Diego. Cam Martin spent the last couple of years at Kansas. He's a big man center and then Omar Staley uh, he's probably going to be their starting power forward probably relate, uh, replace Naj Smith so didn't really lose any impact players added three impact players so Leon Rice should have a really good squad next year and then New Mexico and UNLV, would you say these are ranked winners, one, two, three? Not necessarily. Or? So New Mexico actually lost seven players to the transfer wow. portal, including two starters. Uh, Josiah Alec went to Nebraska, probably the biggest name. Javante Johnson went to Colorado State. But the three players they added all should be really good players. Nelly Jr. Joseph, he's a six foot ten forward, came from Iona, played for Richard Patino's uh, father last year, uh, averaged 15 points, nine rebounds, probably the best transfer the Mountain West has gotten this offseason. Wow. Also, Jamaro Baker a guard from Fresno State, and then uh, Musafa Amizil, uh, average right around 10-5 and five for Dayton. So, um, you know, they need better defense, and I think they've brought in some guys who will help them play better defense. As in terms of UNLV, yeah. they did add three transfers from the Power 5 level, all average double figures. There was Jalen Hill from Oklahoma, and then Keelan and Caleb Boone, who both played at Oklahoma State, so brothers that they're adding as well. And they recently got a top 25 commit, a kid from Las Vegas high school player. So UNLV, ah. they should have a lot of talent next year. This doesn't always mean wins when you talk about the Rebels, but um, their roster's looking pretty solid. Coach Kruger, though, trying to build something there down in Las Vegas. Wolfpack fans aren't going to like this next slide because there are a handful of losers in the Mountain West, and Chris did mention Nevada still has one scholarship remaining, but you do have Nevada on that losers list, Chris, as well as San Jose State, Utah State, and Wyoming, because we're talking transfer portal, as in D1 transfers, yeah. only one coming this way. Yeah, I mean, Nevada lost Will Baker. Lost, He's one of, of three all-conference players who went into the transfer portal, uh, so that's obviously a big loss. They lost Darian Williams, the Mountain West Freshman of the Year. They went to LSU and Texas Tech, respectively. They lost Trey Pettigrew, who is a former top 150 recruit, Michael Falloran, a backup center. So you're talking about four players that they lost, including two starters, including a kid in Trey Pettigrew they were very, very high on. Yeah, he didn't give a lot of production this year, but they did invest a year into him, and they've only brought one player in from the transfer portal in Tylen Pope, uh, you know, kind of an undersized power forward, a very good player, very good defensive player from Tulane, right, average right around six and a half points per game last year. They got Jariah Coleman as well. He's a junior college junior big college. man, one of the best uh, defensive centers at that level. But when you look at the balance sheet, I don't think anyone's going to tell you Nevada has gotten better players than they've lost in the transfer portal. I think the Wolfpack is thinking, well, let's build up our defensive front court. And yes, Will Baker is a very talented offensive player, but we feel like we've gotten better defensively in the front court. We feel like the pieces are going to coalesce better to make them a better defensive team. So they did make the losers list, but we will see. I still think this is a very good team on paper, given that they bring back Jerry. Jared Lucas, Keenan Blackshear, 
Trey Coleman, a lot of really quality players coming back for Nevada. And then, of course, as you mentioned, still a scholarship left. So maybe yes. they work their way into the neutral line. Did you want to talk any more about the rest of the losers team, well, which also included Air Force? Yeah, I mean, you look at Utah State. They lost nine players, including four starters. Uh, they did have a head coaching change, but they lose Stephen Ashworth the Creighton, Max Julga, and Sean Barstow. Uh, they both went to VCU with their head coach, Ryan Odom, and then Trevin Dorius, who went to Utah Valley. So they lost not only those four starters, starters plus the fifth starter, um, uh, Taylor Funk was out of eligibility. So That's completely right. new starting five. And then you look at Wyoming, that program was a mess last year. They also lost nine players, including Graham E.K., the preseason player of the year. He's headed over to your boys and Gonzaga. So um, that those teams are certainly in the losers category, whereas Nevada's more like a soft loser category. I got you. Maybe borderline neutral because there's a few <laughs> squads that – just stayed neutral, and I guess you can't fault San Diego State considering they reached the national championship game last year. They'll be strong again. You also have Colorado State and Fresno State. On yeah, I mean, list. you look at San Diego State, so these rankings were put out before they got Jay Powell from Campbell earlier right. today. They happened. did get Reese Dixon Waters from USC, a very good guard. They lost one player to the portal, Keisha Johnson, who was a starter for them last year. San Diego State should still have the best roster in the Mountain West. I think Boise State you could probably put at that level as well. And then I would say UNLV and Nevada is probably in that second tier. So I think the Wolfpack is in a good spot overall, but maybe didn't get quite the quality impact players you would have been hoping for out of the Division I portal. In terms of Colorado State and Fresno State, kind of just switching the deck chairs there. They lost some good players. They added some good players. It's just crazy how many, how much these rosters change year in and year out. The turnover is unbelievable yes. in today's day and age in college hoops, especially hoops, and you wonder how much NIL plays a role in all of this. It plays a significant role, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of money out there to give to players nowadays. In Nevada, do they have all that money? No. I think it's one of the higher NIL uh, conglomerates that there are in the Mountain West, but that's not going to measure up with your power conference schools. So to combat that, certainly you need to raise money from your boosters, but you also need that great culture. You need to make it a very enjoyable environment for your players to play in so you're not turning over your roster year over year. But there are some players or parents of players who say, I want my kid to maximize their value when they're at the college level because there's a good chance they don't play pro. And if they can bank half a million dollars over a four-year career by playing at the college level, you know, I can't begrudge them necessarily for that. I know your average fan hates this because they want to be able to make that connection to players and they don't want to think, well, if we go get a Darian Williams and nobody's really recruiting him out of high school and he blows up and he's a great player, we're just going to lose him to a power five because they can give him more money. Like that is a very unfortunate aspect of current college athletics. But on the flip side, these players do have value. And if they want to maximize that value, if you want to change jobs and get paid three or four times as much, nobody's going to begrudge you. Certainly there's an emotional tie when you're supporting an athletic department and losing those players. Not easy, but you can't cry about it. you got to go out and get really good players out of the portal as well. And certainly Nevada has done that. Basically right. all of their good players the last 10 years, except for maybe Lindsey Drew and Cam Oliver, have come out of the transfer portal. You're talking about the Martin Twins, Jordan Caroline, Kendall Stevens, uh, Jalen Harris, Jared Lucas, Keenan Blackshear, Grant Sherfield, wow. Warren Washington, Desmond Cambridge Jr. Like you can still build really good teams from Division One transfers. And Will Baker, who of course Will Baker. is gone again though, making moves to LSU. About to get his degree from Nevada though in journalism. So yes. shout out to Will for that. A couple of J School grads <laughs> sitting right here. All right, so again, Chris's full breakdown of the Mountain West winners and losers in the transfer portal can be seen at NevadaSportsNet.com. Coming up next on NSN Daily, we're heading to Greater Nevada Field chatting with one of the Reno Aces star players in Diego Castillo. We'll chat with the Venezuela native right after this.
Welcome back to NSN Daily on a Thursday. Alongside Chris Murray, I'm Mike Stephenson. Thrilled to have you with us. Maybe you've seen on Nevada Sportsnet this week a little ace ball action from Greater Nevada Field. Sacramento in town. Always fun when the River Cats are in the house. As we head down to Greater Nevada Field right now, we're chatting with Aces infielder Diego Castillo. Diego, you were traded from Pittsburgh to Arizona at the end of last year. So this is your first taste of Reno and, and ace ball. What's it been like uh, just enjoying your time in the biggest little city? Yeah, yeah, it's my first time here in Reno. Uh, like I said, I really like it. I really like it I'm here in Reno. It's, uh, it was a little bit cold in the, in the, in the beginning, <laughs> but uh, it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you grew up in Venezuela, so a little bit warmer than Reno, I guess. Tell us a little bit about how you got discovered, how you got into the Yankees first as a professional organization and started working your way up through the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, I'm from Venezuela, so uh, this is my first time here. Uh, at least I met the snow here in Reno, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> what was that path like getting from Venezuela to America to play minor league baseball? Of course, you had a taste of the major league experience, 96 games last year with Pittsburgh, but just the process of coming out of Venezuela, what's that look like? Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. You know, you, you left home really young. I was so young when I left home, but... Uh, Still, it's a really good experience. I made really good uh, friendships and uh, really good memories, you know, during that process until I get in the big league. So it's pretty cool. Let's talk to you a little bit about your big league experience. Last year, as Mike mentioned, 96 games with Pittsburgh. You hit 11 home runs. So I guess what did you take away from almost playing a full year at the major league level last season? Yeah, yeah, last year was amazing. You know, it was a dream come true. I really enjoy it. Pittsburgh was a fun place to be, and the big leagues is like a, like the people call it. It's a show, you know. It's pretty cool to be there. I hope to be there soon again. And uh, yeah, my memories so so many. Of course, that's the idea. You would like to be with the Diamondbacks and back in the show, as you said. So, what is take us through the mindset of getting to taste that major league experience, but then getting bumped back down to AAA and knowing you want to get back to that high level? What's that mindset like? Yeah, yeah, you just got to keep playing, you know, working hard, playing all the time and uh, giving your best, giving your 100% every single day uh, and uh, just wait for uh, the opportunity. I don't know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back again. You're obviously having a fantastic season with the Aces, hitting 344 this season. That's one of the top marks in the Pacific Coast League. When you did change organizations going from Pittsburgh to Arizona, did they talk to you at changing anything or are you just kind of seeing the ball really well so far this season? No, you know, you know what really, really um, helped me a lot. It's gonna sound weird, but uh, the cold here <laughs> helped me a lot because you know, with, with the cold, you're just trying to get the barrel on the ball. You know, you know, because if you miss it, your hands gonna hurt a lot. <laughs> so, I think hitting hitting the ball in the barrel helped me a lot to get more base hits and doubles. So, that's uh, something I think advantage from the cold. That's such an interesting point because it's almost always pretty chilly when ace ball season comes around in March each and every year. But, of course, things getting a lot nicer out there now at Greater Nevada Field. What's the experience been like for you just living and playing here in northern Nevada and getting to interact with some of the fans and whatnot? Amazing, amazing, amazing. This is a good place, good stadium, good city. I really like horses, so I see a lot of people uh, wearing uh, cow cowboy hats, so I really like that. And... Uh, uh, I want to I wanna go some, somewhere like where the farm are in, in Reno. So 
I hope to be there soon. Nice. We got a lot of options. We got a lot of wild horses actually yeah. down in South Reno where I live. We see wild horses, uh, you know, right outside our backyard all the time. So a great place for that if you you do enjoy that. Sounds like you were able to get up to Lake Tahoe earlier this week for the first time ever. I guess what was that experience like seeing one of the world's best lakes? I love it. I love it. Uh, lake Tahoe. It's cool i take like i don't know thousands of pictures to send my family back in venezuela <laughs> and uh, i want i want to go back next monday <laughs> that's yeah the, make it a monday <laughs> off day routine to make it up to big blue lake tahoe that would certainly be a nice routine uh, to have diego um tell us just about what you bring to the table as a player and and just why simply you love the game of baseball yeah, you know, I can play. I can play a lot of a uh, lot of position around the field. I, I can play shortstop, second base, left field. Uh, I have been playing shortstop a lot here with the Reno Aces, but I can play in the outfield too. So that's that's what I'm, I can offer to the teams in baseball. You know, I, and then I'm a Latin guy. You know, Latin guys always give 100% every single game. Yeah, and coming from Venezuela, I mean, so many great baseball players have come out of there. Obviously, right. Jose Altuve, Miguel Cabrera. We got to see a lot of them play in the World Baseball Classic. Did you have an idol, or was there a player you watched growing up that said, you know what, I can get to the big leagues too, even though I come from this country a long way away from America? Yeah, yeah, I got a couple. I got a couple. I got Miguel Cabrera. I got Derek Jeter, Javi Baez. I like how they play the game. I love how they act. I met Miguel Cabrera last year in the big leagues, and he was a really good guy with me. So, it I really I really like uh, enjoy watching him play. Obviously, with the WBC, we got to see kind of the atmosphere that you maybe see outside of traditional American baseball. Um, I guess that's not a huge surprise to you, but just to be able to see the world really embrace this sport and kind of see how people interact uh, in the fans, um, you know, with the WBC. I guess what was your takeaway from watching that great tournament and just how much enthusiasm there was for the game? Yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching that a lot. You know, uh, the the World Baseball Classic was amazing, especially in Miami, in Arizona. I was there when the stadium was full every single day. Uh, Mexico playing there, Venezuela playing in Venezuela. I'm sorry, Venezuela playing in Miami, uh, Dominican. There's that's amazing. All the players, all the superstars playing and giving their their best. That was great. How cool. If we go back to your almost full year last year with the Pittsburgh Pirates, do you have a top? You mentioned you have a lot of memories. Is there a, a top highlight? Is there a welcome to the show moment that you're going to carry with you? Yeah, of course. I got, I got a, lot of, a lot of things. When, the, when they called me up, the manager uh, put me, like, called me to the office, and I went there, and then they start, he started like, joking with me, like saying to me, uh, I know you're a really good player. I know you're giving your best, but we got that spot here. You're probably going to go back to AAA. And I was like, oh, uh, come on. And like 30 seconds later, he started looking at me and go, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Welcome to the big leagues. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. What was, when you got to tell your family back home in Venezuela, I guess, what was their reaction to see you live up to that dream that you set a long time ago? Yeah, you know, when they called me out, that was the last day of spring training. So my family was waiting for a response, like was waiting for some news. And I called my mom and I tell her like, hey, mom, what's up? I was talking to her like really sad, acting like I'm sad. And <laughs> she goes and tells me, no, don't, you don't go into triple again. And I go like, uh, no, I'm going to the big leagues. And <laughs> she just started crying. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, what a moment. Has your family gotten to come over and watch you play at all? I'm sure they get to maybe stream some of the games, but uh, how much have they got to see you play at this level? 
Uh, well, my mom and my dad still still uh, doesn't come here, but I got a couple of, uh, couple of them, like cousins, my aunt, my grandpa, and they they, they live in Puerto Rico, so they can they got the chance to come here and they 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 come watch some games. Love to hear it, Diego. It's great to have you in the biggest little city. Before we let you go, is there anything else you want to add for our NSN Daily viewers today? No, no, I'm just uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here, and then thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure. Thanks, uh, thanks again to Diego Castillo for joining NSN Daily. Go catch him in the infield, shining for the Reno Aces. Thanks again, Diego. Thank you. Got to be a heck of a journey to move across the world, essentially, at such a young age yeah. and try to embark on such a hard thing to accomplish. And yeah, look at I mean, him. To go from Venezuela to make it to the big leagues, there's a lot of people who want to be able to do that, not that uh, many that get to, but obviously Venezuela has a great history of baseball. You look at the last 20 years, I mean, they've sent some phenomenal players, Ronald Acuna uh, on that list as well, and it is huge into baseball, so great to see him actually make that dream come true and be able to tell his family and, and shed some tears over that. Nice memory. Yeah, nice to have him on NSN Daily. Coming up next, we'll go back to last night in the NBA. How about that win for the Miami Heat? we got to talk about that and look ahead. That's coming up next on Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris and Mike hanging out with you on a Thursday as the conference finals continue to heat up. How about game one last night between the Heat and the Celtics? Boston looked on its way to getting what has been a difficult home win in the postseason. But how about the Heat outscoring them 46-25 in the third quarter. It ends up being a Miami win in game one, 123-116. We're seeing some Caleb Martin highlights because the kid was strong again, Chris. Yeah, he was huge in this game. I mean, you look at his overall stats, 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, and two steals, but arguably hit the biggest shot in the game. They were up four, 114 to 110 with two minutes, 10 seconds to go. Boston was reeling in Miami, mm -hmm. making a push. Caleb hit a three to put him up seven, and then they iced the game from there. Jimmy Butler hit a three on the next possession. So a huge game for Caleb Martin. He has now scored in double figures in eight of the Heat's 12 playoff games this season, averaging uh, more than 11 points per game, shooting 53% from the field and 39% from three. So he's become a very reliable player. There is that key three Big that time. we talked about right there. And uh, deja vu on this exact same day one year ago, game one in Boston, the Miami Heat trailed by 13 points in game one, and they ended up coming back and winning. So uh, we know that the Boston Celtics ended up winning that series in seven games. And this one looks like it's probably going to be a long series as well. I've said before, if Boston plays at its ceiling, its ceiling is higher than Miami's ceiling. But we also know Boston is very inconsistent. And really, it was that one third quarter that doomed them. You don't get outscored by 21 points in a quarter and win very many playoff games. Boston is, what, 500, I think, at home in the postseason. That's not going to get it done, especially with those faithful Boston fans. After the game, Jimmy Butler, who put together a heck of a contest, over 30 points, he had six steals as well. He was asked after Chicago, after uh, Miami lost its first play-in game to Chicago, everyone was wondering what the heck this Heat team is going to do, but Jimmy never lost confidence. If you go back all the way to that night against Chicago and the play-in, did you think then that something like this would be possible? Damn right. I did. Damn right. We did. Um, and the best part about it is we still don't care what none of y'all think, honestly speaking. Um, we don't care if you pick us to win. We never have. We never will. We know the group of guys we have in this locker room. Um, we know that Coach Bo um, puts so much confidence and belief in each and every one of us. Coach Pat as well. And so our circle's small, but 
this circle got so much love for one another. Um, we pump constant confidence into everybody. And we go out there and we hoop. We play basketball the right way, knowing that we always got a chance. I felt good. I thought we had a good game plan going into the game. It just lacked intensity. They, I mean, they came out, give me credit to Miami, they came out and outplayed us um, from jump. They were more physical and they, you know, um, they outplayed us. They shot the ball well. And, you know, that's how they won the game. And the only thing we need to adjust to is picking up our physicality and playing some damn defense. That's the only thing they switched. They, they didn't change anything from the first half that they weren't doing. They just upped their physicality, and that was it. There's nothing tactical, X's and O's. It's just coming out and, uh, you know, guard your yard. And um, they scored 46 in their third, and, and they got going. And, um, you know, they made us pay, and it led into the fourth quarter. Guard your yard. I like that <laughs> from Marcus Smart, the notable great defender, reigning defensive player of the year. All right, let's transition now as game two between Miami and Boston arrives on Friday. Game two between the Lakers and the Nuggets comes tonight. It is a 5.30 tip-off in Denver. See, the Nuggets says five-point favorites. Got to be feeling good getting the game one win, but also the Lakers might feel a little encouraged considering they closed what was an 18-point halftime deficit into a mm -hmm. three-point game in the final minutes. Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets coach, Coach Malone, kind of poo-pooed that. He's like, I think the Lakers think they figured something out, putting Rui Hachimori on Jokic and letting Anthony Davis kind of roam, but we've seen that before. So we'll right. see. I think the Lakers do need to get a split. I think they need yeah. to win this game because if they don't, they have to win four out of five to advance in the series, and then you're putting yourself in an exceptionally difficult position. Certainly, if you lose both your road games doesn't mean the series is over but it just makes things really tough against what has been the best team in the NBA basically from start to finish so we'll see what Jokic has in this game he put up like what 40 25 and 14 something around there last Unreal. game uh, I don't know if he'll be able to grab that out of his bag but he's going to be great Bang. and we'll see if the role players of the Nuggets step up because if they do it's going to make things really hard on the Lakers in this one but uh, you know LeBron's been in this situation before AD looking back at Jokic like, man, just like all of us, like what the heck is up with this guy? But yeah, you said it, Lakers have split those first two road games in each of their first two series. Going back to Miami, they've won game one in all three of those uh, first those series. So um, let's see if the Road Warriors in the Lakers can show up tonight in Denver. Again, the Nuggets five-point favorites as we tape this afternoon. We'll debrief that one tomorrow, but coming up next year on NSN Daily, if you are a bird watching this show, you might want to look away. Errant baseball's coming your way. We'll talk about that next on NSN Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Chris and Mike back in the Legends Bay Lounge powered by Circus Sports to wrap up this Thursday show with a little soft toss pregame baseball. Why would we want to put that on the show? Well, crazy things happen when you're by the bay. The Diamondbacks pitcher Zach Gallen warming up. Get a close look at this. Well, a life was just taken on the field. Oh, man. That of a bird channeling uh, his Randy Johnson impression, who was also part of the Diamondbacks when he famously yes. hit, a, hit a bird in a spring training game, also against the Giants. Gallon, uh, that's some serious accuracy. I obviously was not trying to hit him. I don't want Pete all over him. But Zach Gallon has been phenomenal this season. He's probably been the best pitcher in the National League. Unfortunately, the bird took a wrong flight path there and paid the price. So uh, that Randy Johnson thing seemed like it'd be singular. It would never happen again. Right. And this didn't happen on the mound, but very sad for the bird. But uh, Zach Gallon will move on. RIP to that bird. The Seagulls there know better. They show up after the game. <laughs> we'll see you on Friday for NSN Daily.